In this podcast, we bring together fascinating people from far and wide to discuss the highlights from their career. My name is Alex Lobert, and welcome to the best job I've ever had. Putting it in perspective, what it is you actually do, and then bringing your humanity mm-hmm. in, you know, to the office. I don't, I don't think there's a better recipe than that. It was so odd to be in a place where everyone was tucked away in their offices and we're almost whispering to each other when we would just be doing belly laughs. High-level jobs, you know, you've got to make sure you have not just the responsibility, but the authority also, and he was 100% behind me. But at the end of the day, the idea that you're contributing to people's well-being is one that inspired me. Sometimes in life, good old-fashioned luck introduces you to amazing people. That's the case with my guest today, Sarah Wilcox. Sarah was actually my neighbor in the Wicker Park neighborhood of Chicago. I knew quickly that Sarah was incredibly smart and just a joy to be around. From that, I suppose I should have guessed she also had an awe-inspiring career. Sarah is a serial entrepreneur, business consultant, and executive coach with an MBA from Northwestern's Kellogg School of Business. She started her career as a feature writer for Golf Magazine, but quickly transitioned to healthcare marketing and strategy. She became a vice president at Children's Memorial Medical Center in Chicago, now known as Ann Robert H. Lurie's Children's Hospital, after which she became the executive vice president for consumer health at one of the biggest advertising firms in the world, Draft FCB. You might know the hand logo for Lurie's Children's Hospital. That's Sarah. Currently, Sarah has her own business, Women Included Now, Executive Coaching, where she provides career support and mentorship for women. She brings her over 30 years of leadership experience to her coaching and mentoring and consulting practice, as well as diverse tools and frameworks to help individuals find inspiring and satisfying careers. At the organizational level, Sarah works with corporations on leadership development, employee resource group strategy, senior staff coaching, and inclusivity development. Talking with Sarah is always a treat. I can't wait to hear about her best job. Sarah Wilcox, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, first question for you. What is the best job you've ever had? Well, you know, if, if you've seen my resume, you know I have had a few of them. Um, I would have to say, though, that my favorite job was working for Draft which became Draft FCB, which became FCB. And the reason for it was um, I had a great boss. The CEO was amazing. And my direct boss, uh, Bill Gorski, was just a wonderful man to work for. Um, he had a lot of respect for the people that he hired, gave us you know, a lot of latitude to do what we thought was right. So there was, you know, it's, high-level jobs, you know, you've got to make sure you have not just the responsibility, but the authority also, and he was 100% behind me. Um, And we grew that business from, um, in fees, from about, you know, 3 million when I was there to about 20 million when I left. Um, And Yvonne Firth was the CEO, and she was very supportive of women. um, And um, the vagaries of being a senior executive female and what that entails when you have a family and um and I had just wonderful people that I worked with it was just a blast so you were the executive vice president for 
healthcare vertical. What was the actual jobs? Like, what were you doing day to day? Well, um, as the executive vice president, my primary responsibility was to grow the business. So um, we did a lot of pitch, pitching new clients. And the new business uh, team at Draft was also a very good friend of mine was running it. And she and I um, really um, were in sync in terms of how to pitch the business. She's, was a, she's just an amazing um, creative mind and, and has more energy and work ethic than just about anybody I've ever met. <laughs> um, but she, you know, so strategy. Um, strategy for business growth was a big part of what I did there. And then um, making sure that my teams, because the way that an agency is set up, you have teams of people who are running different accounts. And within those teams are account services, creative, uh, data, um, technology, uh, media, um, and strategy, uh, strategic planning or account planning. Um, we were able to put together just some really phenomenal people who ran those accounts. Um, they were not only really smart about the business and marketing and how to market product, healthcare products, um, but they also uh, had a high degree of respect for each other. Mm. So when you were sitting at the table, yeah. there wasn't any of that, oh, creative you know, wins the day or strategy wins the day or account service. It was, hey, we are a team and let's, you know, let's do what we need to do to serve our clients or do what we need to do to win this account. So it was, it was really wonderful. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, it's incredible and rare to have that kind of uh, yes. culture. People. So let's go back a little bit to, you know, we're talking about the people and the mm -hmm. people made the time at mm -hmm. Draft um, and FC, Draft FCB so great. What was it about the people and was it, you know, we, we like to hang out on the weekends and we also mm -hmm. like to keep yeah. down to work? It, it, we were more work friends then, yeah. you know, it didn't always filter over, um, mostly because, you know, I had a family and not yeah. all of them did. Um, the, I would say that the thing, the thread that tied us all together is we all like to laugh. Mm. And the creative director... Janet Parker Evans, who I worked with, is one of the funniest people I've ever met. And um, the way she told stories, the way she approached things, she's just hilarious. And so, you know, we had so many really funny moments. Now, you know, we were working in healthcare, which can be incredibly dry, okay? And you walk into pharmaceutical companies and they're quiet as can be. And, you know, I'll never forget walking into Abbott and I had high heels on and my heels kept clicking on the the tile and there wasn't a peep around <laughs> it was so odd to be in a place where everyone was tucked away in their offices and w almost whispering to each other when we would just be doing belly laughs yeah. in the office so um and you know, that isn't to say we didn't work really hard and it wasn't stressful because working in agencies is incredibly stressful because you have clients who are very demanding, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they should be. I mean, it's not that they shouldn't be. It's just that, you know, there's scope creep and there's all kinds of stuff that's always going in. Things don't work sometimes. So, mm -hmm. so there's stress. But I would say that 
if you show up at work and you're ready to dig in, but to have humor about what you do, at the end of the day, none of us were doing brain surgery, right? Yeah. So putting it in perspective, what it is you actually do, and then bringing your humanity, mm-hmm. in, you know, to the office. I don't. I don't think there's a better recipe than that, right? Um, and I do like to laugh. I do mm-hmm. like to look at the irony in life, and certainly the irony of working with other people can be quite hilarious. Like we had one woman. I'll never forget this pitch we were doing, and it was, oh, we were up late working on it. We, it wasn't coming together as good as what we would have liked, and it was just, oh, it was really stressful. And so we were starting at like one in the morning to do our one run through. So, you know, somebody, oh, the account planner, Kate, who's just phenomenally talented and so amazingly bright. She stood up and she gave her whole thing about customers and customer. And I then stood up and did my thing. And I look over and the team is just like, how do you do that? I mean, and they got it. So the two people got up and they were so awful that everybody was on the floor. We were laughing so hard at them. It was hilarious. And, And they were just like, it was just a mess. Or, you know, someone shows up and they have two different shoes on, you know, or two different... I mean, you know, it's just stuff like, you know, in life that happens, it's... If yeah. you have a sense of humor, it really just sort of alleviates a lot of the stress that everybody's feeling. Now, to, to finish that story, they did get up the next day and do a great job. Yeah. yeah. But they were overtired, overwrought, you know, overthinking. And... Um, and what we did is we broke the ice instead of saying, oh, my God, you're so horrible and, you know, calling them names or, you know, making them feel bad about themselves. Yeah. We were just howling. We were just laughing. <laughs> uh, I, so the idea of like working hard and laughing being like mm-hmm. counter one another, I, I, I mm-hmm. breaking that down is, is so refreshing because I'm I'm the same way. You know, I've wrote a few times to like teams I've worked on and like in, in things I've in posts I've written and I've been like having fun like is a critical component to your job like it better be you're gonna spend a lot of time there right and i'm amazed that you know so i'll talk to people uh um i'm always surprised some people you know want my advice now on on careers and things and and they'll be like how do i get success and how do i get money and i'm like how do you have fun like what do you want to do over the next like i don't like Right. Those things sound great too, but you know, I, I'd start from a place of like, how are you going to have fun? Uh, right. I had made a, a decision early on in my career to never go to work for a huge company. Mm-hmm. That, um, you know, first of all, I get bored easily. And I knew that if I was siloed, um, which is what happens in a big company, you, co- you come in, you do that one thing, and you just yep. do it over and over again, I knew I would be bored like crazy. Um, I also don't do really well with hierarchy. <laughs> so, you know, I, I knew that, you know, authority was sort of an issue and I needed someone who would let me brainstorm and have an opinion and run with things. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, those are hard things sometimes to manage in really large companies. And you're always stepping on each other's toes and they have very strict hierarchical chains of command. So I, I explicitly made uh, a decision about the environment that I wanted to be in. 
And I started out in healthcare. I actually started out in sports. I worked for Golf Magazine was my first job. I was a feature writer. Um, I really wanted to work for Ski Magazine, but they um, were full. So um, I started out there, and then from there um, moved into healthcare because I got involved with golf tournaments at, at multi-hospital systems. I know, crazy leap, right? It was one of those opportunistic things that showed up and I just took it. And um, what I saw in healthcare was an opportunity for me to merge um, intentions. And I think that people in careers don't think about that enough. You think, uh, how much money can I make? Or, you know, how can I be, you know, the, the big kahuna? But the reality is, is that when you're thinking about your career, intention gets you there, where just seeking money doesn't necessarily, I mean, it comes along with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I was, a, was turning into a business person who wanted to have a social impact, right? Mm-hmm. So for me to just sell anything was really hard for me. And when I got to business school um, as a healthcare person and met all these people who were working for managing, you know, management consulting firms and engineering big tech firms and stuff, a very good friend of mine worked for a packaging company. And I said to him, Tom, please don't take this the wrong way, but how do you get out of bed mm-hmm. and go to work? You sell plastic boxes. <laughs> and he said to me, Business is competition, and I love competition. And I thought, wow, okay. I I can understand that. It's not the way I operate. It's not who I am. But I get how someone could look at work that way. And and I started learning about intention, other people, and what intentions they have. So healthcare was a really good fit for me because I, when I worked in China, for instance, I literally could see the moment the middle class was arising. Mm. And the reason for that is when I first got there, everyone was talking about um, how long they were gonna live, right? It was survival. And then all of a sudden, as um, a middle class started to emerge and people had more money and more discretionary income, cath labs were being put in place and different Mm. types of medical services were being offered. And now all of a sudden people were talking about quality of life. Mm-hmm. And so it became a metaphor for me of how well a society is doing with the people that live there. And that was really you know, exciting and energizing for me to be a part of that and to see that, which is why I decided that that was a good fit for me. Now, I've worked for every kind of um, healthcare organization you could think of. Um, pharmaceutical, health insurance, hospitals, physician practices, functional foods, the whole different mm-hmm. gamut. But at the end of the day, the idea that you're contributing to people's well-being is one that inspired me to work harder and better. Yeah. No, that is that is inspiring. So, so one last question about draft, and I'd love to talk more about kind of what you're, what you're doing today because mm-hmm. I think it's fascinating and kind of your entrepreneurial efforts. <laughs> um, I'm always curious about whether people knew that the job they were going into was going to be great. As you were taking the job at Draft, were you kind of thinking to yourself, this, like, okay, I'm, this is going to be it? Or was it a surprise? 
Like, was it, yeah. uh, you know, again, you were in healthcare. You were in this place where you were actually, you were at Children's mm-hmm. Memorial, uh, mm-hmm. in the middle of making a, a difference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to move to an advertising company. Like, how did, yeah. did you know that this was, like, that was going to no, be the job? I didn't. Okay. I didn't. Um, you know, I had also worked, um, before I got married, I worked at Boston City Hospital in Boston okay. and um, during the AIDS crisis mm-hmm. uh, when it first um, came out. And um, um, that, was, that was a very humbling experience um, in healthcare because people were really hurting. Yeah. And, um, and the homelessness was also becoming a huge issue. And the immigrant populations were having lots of, lots of issues. So that was, that was fulfilling in a different way, but it, it was also really humbling. And it was a tough place to work, though. Um, I didn't know that, because I didn't know the ethos of an agency. This was the first agency I'd ever worked, worked in. And I didn't understand, I, I probably not the, the work as much as I, I should have, maybe. Um, I, I mean, someone really took a leap of faith with me. Yeah. Um, my, you know, both the CEO and the, the head of client services. Um, because I didn't have that background, but I did know healthcare, and I I could bring clients to them. So I think that weighed um, um, in my favor instead of oh she knows exactly what we do and how to do it. I, I had mm-hmm. people I worked with who taught me how to how to do it, um, but I I didn't realize how generous the people were going to be to me and. Um, and I didn't realize how generous they were to each other either in that environment. No, it was a, it was a big surprise. Very big surprise. All right. So we, so we talked a little, we talked a lot about draft, but also, as you mentioned, like reinvention has, has mm-hmm. been a, a really exciting thing for you. So currently mm-hmm. you've got a few ventures of your own. Mm-hmm. Um, also in the past, you started your own company. Mm-hmm. Well, days. I had spent 10 years in the startup world. Um, we moved um, back from LA. I was in a fintech startup, and um, we came back. My son really wanted to come back to Chicago, and I decided it was right before the pandemic too, which is really interesting timing. But I decided that I wanted to begin to give something back. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, I I started in business when there weren't a lot of women in business. And um, I really understand what women go through as they climb the corporate ladder too, or climb or decide to start their own business. I mean, the, um, it's hard for men to understand the amount of responsibility that women shoulder within the family structure. Yeah. Um, and so, and it's also hard for colleagues because you know, as you go up the ladder, more and more of the families are um, are one income families. Mm-hmm. So a lot of your male colleagues will have a stay at home wife and mother who handles all that aspect of their lives while they travel endlessly, have dinners, you know, work late mm-hmm. hours and the whole thing. And so what I decided was I really needed to help women sort this out for themselves so that we can have a place at the table and that we can sort this out. Now, 
Um, so I started a company called Women Included Now, and it's a, um, it's a career and executive coaching business. And I do presentations to companies. In fact, I'm doing another one um, on Tuesday on leadership and empathy. So it's called Leading with Empathy. I do one called Sanity Sa Saving Tips. Um, I do, um, uh, you know, lots of different kinds of presentations to companies. I work with companies, ERGs, the employee mm -hmm. resource groups, and I consult with individuals. Um, I also still do business consulting, so I get hired uh, to look at strategy for products and businesses mm -hmm. and whatnot. But, but this, this business is really about, it's a culmination of all the things I've done and all the mentoring that I've been doing over the last 25, 30 years. And why my business is just a little bit different from other coaches is I not only use coaching tools, mm -hmm. but I do mentoring, which is a supportive aspect of helping another human. And I do consulting, which is bringing my experience to bear. So it's sort of a three-pronged approach mm -hmm. versus just tools. So one of the tools that I use um, in helping people sort through issues, it's called facts versus feelings. And um, one of the biggest issues that men and women have in business is that they get up against something and they meld the feeling and the fact. Mm -hmm. And so you make a decision depending on which one is coming to the forefront, right? Yeah. And oftentimes it's a triggered emotion. So what I help people do using this tool is let's take it apart. Yeah. And what's actually happened? And now how do you feel about it? And you, 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 you know, they're both affirming, right? I yeah. mean, you need both and you have both. It's just that sometimes you need to separate them out yep. um, to make a better decision. So that's a tool that I use. Um, mentoring is also helping women understand that we have gone from that fantasy of looking for work-life balance, which doesn't exist, mm -hmm. um, to a fully integrated paradigm shift. Yeah. And what that means is you're sitting at the table with your computer doing a work project, possibly even talking to a client or a customer, um, your kids next to you doing their homework, there's laundry in the washing machine, there's dishes in the sink, there's maybe someone at the door. Mm -hmm. That's a fully integrated life, right? Yeah. We used to barricade our, you know, or have barriers and, and set boundaries. So I very rarely talked about my children, for instance, at work. I mean, it was work, yeah. right? And then you went home and you didn't talk about work. It was family time. Well, now it's all blended together. Right. And so for, you know, for everyone, um, it's a challenge. Because otherwise, you know, what people find is <laughs> you're on 24-7. Right. Uh, and so hard to navigate. And I mm -hmm. think it's... Obviously, you know, because as you mentioned, there's 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 pressures that have always been there for you know, especially women in the mm -hmm. in the workforce, uh, but now even I'm sure compounded, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, being able to give people tools and and support, so so needed. Uh, there's a group of women that I've been working with since last year that I am, I just love them, and that's the twenty something, twenty five to twenty eight years old. And the thing that um, they are just beginning to sort out what they want to do, mm -hmm. right? 
And the thing that always becomes apparent to me is we, in our educational system, we do a really lousy job of helping people hone in on what you're really good at and what mm. you're really interested in. You know, we, we come out of there and everyone is supposed to be equal, you know, no algebra and geometry and trig and, you know, the, the great books and, you know, science, you know, it's biology and chemistry. It's very egalitarian the way that we approach education. The problem is, is that ne the next step is a very expensive four years. And I can't tell you how many people that I counsel who went to school for something realized that they really never wanted to do this again. Right, right. And now they're 25 years old and they're like, oh my God, what am I gonna do with my life? Right. So I, um, I really enjoy working with them and one of the tools that I do use, because I'm a writer by training, I use story structure yeah. as a way to help people sort out what they want to do. And we start with context. Okay. Um, because context brings to bear like all the things that influence you, to, uh, the choices that you've made and the decisions you've made. Mm -hmm. And understand that context that you're working and you're operating out of. Mm -hmm. Could be parental pressure. It could be that you know you weren't exposed to a lot of different things, and so really helping people develop that elevator pitch. Ultimately, that when someone says to you, "Tell me about yourself," mm -hmm. that instead of just rambling on and on, you actually have thought about it. Right. You've actually been able to articulate the very essence of you right. and what drives you. I love that, and I think it also has got to be. Whatever the story you want to have uh, can both be kind of really how you feel. It could also be kind of obviously how you want to project into the world. Mm -hmm. Both are reasonable. Mm -hmm. um, but to your point, I think it's important to really critical or be conscious at least mm -hmm. uh, and thoughtful about. Mm -hmm. What is the story going to tell? Is this really me? And the thing, you know, careers, they change. They evolve. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what you thought you wanted, if it doesn't turn out to be what you ultimately want, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not wasted time. Yeah. You know, it's just one more journey. And my sister, who's a therapist, has a great line. The 20s are about data collection. Mm. Whether it's relationships or jobs or places to live or environments that you want to be in, that's what your 20s are supposed to be about. You're collecting data. What do I like? What do I don't like? What do I want to do? What do I, what do I not want to do? So it makes sense that in your 20s, you're moving around a little Right? Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. But um, I, I did some work with some high school students. Yeah. And um, it was really interesting. I was talking to this one young woman. This is sort of a, a, a illustrative of, I think, what I mean when really trying to understand who you are. And she couldn't decide in her college essay if she wanted to pursue graphic design or architecture. And so we were talking about, you know, Okay, tell me about it. And then I, and she, she was really just sort of unclear. And I said, well, let's go back. What did you like to do as a kid? Did you paint? Did you draw? I mean, mm -hmm. what, did, what did you like to do? Anyway, uh, she told me about the things, the clubs that she belonged to and the things she wanted to do. And I said, oh, you want to make things beautiful. You have lots of options. Though, right. Right? You visually, you like visual beauty. You could be a photographer. You could be a hairstylist. You could be a landscape architect. I mean, 
it just opened up then if you if that's the essence of you i like to make things beautiful mm-hmm. then your choices are there's just lots of different things that you should try and right. check out but that's always has to be at the very essence of what you do mm-hmm. if you've got a job in operations pretty much you're going to be unhappy <laughs> right 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 yeah Ma- making things efficient will not be the right. uh the, the road to happiness. <laughs> right. And to your point, I think there's a really important lesson, which is if you know what you like at your essence, mm-hmm. there are a lot of opportunities and there are a lot of ways mm-hmm. to think about jobs. But if you don't, you're kind of drifting and you're, you're, you might be picking jobs based on the wrong characteristics. Like it's right. too easy for prestige and money and other mm-hmm. things to be like, oh, that's what I liked about it. Mm-hmm. And then you get into the role and you're like, oh wait, actually being the head of operations for this company to your point, that's, no, mm-hmm. that, that it was it was not the, the head of part of it that made me happy, right? Like it was, uh, it was a, a different part of the job. Well, and um, I think, you know, we don't, not everyone early on knows um, what they want to do and what their essence is. Um, I have a daughter who always knew. Mm-hmm. Um, from a very early age, uh, she was enthralled with cultures and language. And so we put her through a language school. She had never varied from that. But she's unique. You know, for me, I always thought I wanted to be a writer. But actually, when I got through my MBA, I realized and got in a position of strategy, I realized that that was a much better fit for me mm-hmm. because it was both, and I am both. I'm creative and analytical. Right. And so it took me a while to figure that out, partly because no one had ever put that forward. I mean, I had to find that out myself. And so um, that's why trying different things, if you're really not clear about it, trying different things is important. Right. All right, Sarah, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, if, as a final question though, I'd love to ask you, do you have a piece of advice that you would give to other people searching for their best job? It's not outside, it's inside. You know, when you're clear in your own heart and mind about what makes you happy and what inspires you to get out of bed every Monday morning, then you can find the perfect job. But it doesn't happen the other way around. You know, I, I, I think that when I talk about my best job, I think I knew that people were going to be the thing that made a job really good for me. The people I worked with were really important to me. And so when that happened, it was Eureka, right? But I knew that I couldn't work with people I didn't like. You have to spend quality time with yourself. Mm -hmm. There's just no other option. So if you want to find that best job, spend some time with yourself. That's that's great advice and a wonderful place to to end. So, Sarah Wilcox, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Follow our podcast to get the latest episodes of The Best Job I've Ever Had.